I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Chasing Justice. I'm your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, and we have another get-together here where we talk about culture, politics, America, law enforcement, God, and all the good things in life. Well, maybe sometimes the bad things, too. So when we look out over the landscape of the world, what do we see going on? Well, I see some interesting things taking place in politics. Now, we know it's interesting that President Biden, who by all accounts, if you look at him closely, does not appear that he is is completely healthy mentally or physically. Now, he's an older gentleman. You know, he's an older guy. He has a hard time keeping his sentences straight. You know, I have a problem with that sometimes. But the reality is, at his age, and he's deteriorating kind of quickly, I think we can all see that. It's, and it's, it's not a matter of, you know, that's a bad thing about him. It's not. It's a reality of when we all age, we're going to lose our faculties. We start to be forgetful. We can't remember things. But the things he does are bizarre. You know, I think last week we saw a couple of instances of strange behavior, stranger than normal, with uh, with Mr. Biden. And we know he's got a, a propensity for touching young girls and, and women inappropriately, sniffing their hair. I mean, you know, there's there's one thing to say you're acting affectionately. You're uh, grandfatherly, you know, and, you know, we all see these little kids and they're sweet and, you know, you see your little nephews and your nieces and you give them a hug and you love them. But do you sniff their hair? I mean, that's the kind of thing that, you know, you do when, when you have a, a, a woman that you're in love with or that you're physically attracted to. You know, there are many, many wonderful, beautiful, enchanting things about the women in our lives. You know, God gave them a lot of uh, attributes that men find attractive and a, a, a beautiful head of, uh, you know, crowning glory, they call it, with beautiful head of hair. My wife Kathleen has that. She's always had this beautiful head of hair, and it's absolutely wonderful. And I always loved it. I found it very attractive. And that's, but that's one thing. But you know what? That's an attraction I have to a woman that I'm in love with, not to a little child, to a little kid, or other women that you're not married to. So we saw Eva Longoria, a beautiful actress. She's out there, very attractive woman. And President Biden meets her and she gives him a hug. You know, we all do that. You see somebody that you know or somebody that you're meeting and, you know, we couldn't do it during the pandemic. You couldn't, you know, couldn't even handshake. But you would give people a, a, a hug. You know, we also got the bro hug when you see one of your buddies, you know, that are out there. You give them a bro hug. It's an affectionate thing for people to do. But we watched President Biden. He, uh, he gave a hug to Eva Longoria. And then his hands lingered a little too long on her back, a little too intimately, that she reached back and she had to slide his hands off. And his hands came very close to, uh, let's just say, girding under her chest as he removed his hands. It was weird. And he, he does this all the time. Now, I guess that attraction, you know, and I'm not talking women to men, but men to women, men never seem to lose that attraction to a beautiful woman. 
it's built into us. You know, that, that's part of, of who we are. Uh, you know, you may slow down as you get older, but you never stop looking. You never stop noticing. And I, and I don't fault Biden for that. But I fault him for continuing to touch and sniff in the wrong way. It's, it's just not appropriate. Right? So we see him do that. What the heck is he talking about? God save the queen. Now, he makes these announcements the other day. And at the end of it, he's, he says, oh, and God save the queen. Now, first of all, the queen is dead. So maybe if he said God save the king, it would be less wacky. But the reality is, like, that's what they say in, in the United Kingdom, in Britain. God save the king. God save the queen. Why is the president of the United States saying that? We defeated those people. Right? It's okay we have a good relationship with them now, but we don't say God save the queen, God save the king. That's, that's, not, that's not us. So I saw an article where his, uh, even his aides are saying, well, you know, he's got a lot of idiosyncrasies, the way he talks about things, and he says different things. Come on, Jack. Right? Doesn't he say that to people? Come on, Jack. Uh, he's, he's a strange guy, Joe Biden. He's just a strange guy. So some of it I give him a pass for because he's just a goofy guy. And we all know goofy guys, right? Everybody knows goofy guys that say and do goofy things. And then he's a creepy guy. He does creepy things. Now, you think somebody was said to him, um, Mr. President, Joe, Mr. Biden, whatever you call him, whatever your relationship with him is, maybe you should keep your hands off women and little girls and little children from now on. You know, you should just say hi to them. A little pat on the head might be nice. A handshake, a, uh, a bro hug might be the thing to do, but... You know, the whole lingering hands, the sniffing, of it's, I, we can go on and on about it. It is weird, and it's strange. When we see him mess up sentences, and he messes up references, this is all an indicator that he's not thinking very clearly. So, what do we have going on? We have uh, RFK running for president, Democrat, and the media is trying to tear this guy apart because they have determined that Joe Biden will be the nominee and he will beat Donald Trump, and they will do everything they can to beat Donald Trump, or whatever Republican has the nomination, but it looks like it'll probably be Donald Trump. But they're pulling out all the stops, and so far the Democrat Party has said, yeah, we're not going to have, uh, we're not going to have uh, debates. There'll be no debates. Now, why would there be no debates? If you had a candidate that's brilliant and and, and just amazing and is going to is going to be uh, easily win by the virtue of their their presence, their point of view, their intelligence, their intellect, their grasp of the issues, all of that. You would want them to debate, wouldn't you? You'd want to put them up there and showcase them. You know, if I'm a rock and roll singer and I write a crazy rock and roll song I think is great, I want to go out and play it for people. If this guy is going to be the nominee, he should be out there and be able to hold his own. But the Democrat Party has decided that they are going to affect the election by refusing to allow there to be de debates. Now, why would they do that? Because obviously, even though RFK is only got 20% in the polls, that's 20% against a sitting president. That's pretty good. Even though he's only got 20%, he sounds like he can actually put together a couple of sentences. He can have clear thoughts. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, God saving the queen. He's not touching little children. He's not sniffing people and all that kind of stuff. He seems like if he got in front of the audience with Joe Biden, he would probably make Joe Biden look stupid. And therefore, they're going to affect the election by saying there'll be no debates. 
Now, where is the uproar for this? Where is the outrage among uh, our friends on the left? Where's our Democrat friends? They lecture us all the time, don't they, about we have to save the republic, we have to save democracy, we have to save freedom. Well, isn't freedom of speech part of that? Isn't freedom of speech part of what we want to do and we want to hear people's ideas and we want to debate ideas and see what ideas are best? Doesn't seem they want to do that, my friends. And the reason I bring this up is because, uh, you know, I'm not going to relitigate the 2020 election. There are many people who feel there were a lot of inappropriate things that happened. And we can argue that forever, but that's water under the bridge. It's gone. It's over. Biden was declared the winner, and that's it. And he's in two years in his president, so we have to let that go. What we don't have to let go is the concern that maybe there were some things that were inappropriate. Not the outcome. The outcome came out how it came out. But the reality is, um, going forward, and this is just another example excuse me, of our friends on the left trying to affect an election. We're not going to debate. We're not going to allow a debate. That's it. It's Joe Biden, and that's it. Limiting the choice of the American people. Now, even though I'm a conservative kind of guy, I would like to hear what RFK has to say compared to Joe Biden. Because if our friends on the left are going to win the next election and a Democrat will be president, I would like to be able to hear from the candidates so that I could understand what, what, what do they think? Maybe they have some great ideas that I say, you know what, I'm going to cross party lines and I'm going to vote for them. That's the idea of passing on information, of debating, of talking, letting people hear, letting me, a voter, hear what you think you're going to do in your second term or in your first term as RFK. But our friends on the left have said no, which mark that down. That's an example. They're trying to control the next election. So can you, can you, um, build out from that, if they're willing to do this and refuse to have debates, what else would they be willing to do? Stuff ballot boxes, um, stop counting in the middle of the night, truckloads of ballots showing up. Uh, would they be willing to do uh, voter suppression? Would they be willing to do those kind of things? I don't know. I'm asking the question. So the reality is that this is a clear example to me of another problem uh, with an election. How about just everybody come out and say their ideas, you vote for who you think is best, and then uh, we have the election. But they're not allowing that. So the next wrinkle we see is in the background is this Gavin Newsom guy. Now, clearly, uh, he looks like a guy, you know, right out of the movies. He's a handsome fella. He's tall. He's articulate. Uh, his ideas are ridiculous. His policies are absurd and dangerous uh, to the people of California, and they would be to, this, to the country as well. Um, but he seems like a, a nice enough kind of guy. He was on Sean Hannity. Sean had a big interview with him, and I had to give the guy credit. You know, he came on. He was willing to take the chance to come on and be questioned. He, he obfuscated some answers. He didn't actually answer some things that Sean asked him. But he was willing to come on and be questioned and to make his case. I think he came across as mildly reasonable. I think to to people who don't really pay attention, and I'm not I'm not saying, oh Joe, I pay attention really a lot and no one else does. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not saying that. What is that? I pay more attention to minutia. I'm an interview expert, right? That's what I do. I, I 
I, I'm an interview expert. I teach people to conduct interviews. I've been doing it my whole career. And I look at the words people say. Words mean things. The way they say things. The candor. You know, where you place a comma in your sentence makes a big difference. And when I listen to Gavin Newsom, just staring and watching him, I could say, wow, the guy came off kind of reasonably. When I look at the words he said, what he didn't say, how he said it, it was clear that, you know, he's not giving, he's not giving truthful answers. He was dodging around them. When he got caught and Sean said, well, what about you going to that laundry restaurant? And he said, that's a mistake. That's a big mistake. I thought that was actually very smart to say that. It didn't help us all at the time, right? Uh, all these uh, these politicians and everybody got to break the rules. Nancy got to go get her hair cut in a salon when none of you could. Uh, Nancy got to go to restaurants when none of you could. She got to not wear masks when none of you were told to, you couldn't wear masks. So we, we do see this kind of hypocrisy clear, and I saw that. But Gavin Newsom is clearly sitting on the sideline uh, hoping that his time comes, that that people start to say, gee, there's, there's a real problem with Biden. We don't know that he can win. So right now there's different polls out there. We see a, a couple of polls that show basically a dead a dead heat between Trump and Biden. If the election were today, it's it's a dead heat within the margin of error. And then there was, a, a, a I think, a Monmouth University or Quinnipiac poll that showed Trump up 6%, six percentage points. That's huge to be up 6%. That you know, the country is saying, enough of this. You know, we don't like the tweeting. We don't like the attitude, but we certainly like the policy, the gas price, the, the strength, the low crime, everything that Trump offers. But that's interesting. Um, but I think Gavin Newsom is hanging out in the background, waiting to see if, if Biden falters or if he really starts to fall. Or if this uh, James Cower investigation, uh, Comer investigation, actually starts to turn into something. Um, you know, we see there's a lot of smoke. There's a lot of potential. If, as an investigator, if I had all of this information that's 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 already out there in the public, the bank records of the shell companies, if I had all that information, uh, I'd be very close to making an arrest. I'll tell you that. And anybody out there that's an investigator that looks at all this says, you, you know, you you take you take a couple pieces of that information, you put it together, you look at the documents, and uh, it's clear that you see uh, corruption, you see all kinds of illegal activities taking place. When you close your eyes to it and you simply say, there's nothing to it, there's nothing to it, it's a conspiracy theory, people are making it up, and you don't want to look at the facts, you don't want to ask the hard questions, then I guess it's easy to, to say things like that. But let me ask this question. How many shell companies do you have in your family? Do you have, we have, you have one or two? You have two shell companies, three? Do you have four? Do you have nine? Do you have 16 shell companies? And how many businesses, how many how many businesses around the world are sending you money to those shell companies that you then divvy up amongst your family members? How many beach houses do you have on a salary of $200,000 a year? Uh, multiple? You have you probably you probably have two, okay? The average average the average people of us who are working people, we have two beach houses based on our regular salary, right? Isn't that Oh no, no, we don't have any beach houses. So when we look at this, it is, it is a clear case for corruption. And to not see it is only one of two things. One, you are so stupid, you really can't see the potential evidence that's right in front of your face. Or number two, you refuse to see it. And I think uh, that's what we're seeing now. The media refuses to see it. 
um, they don't want to see it. They're not. How come? How come there aren't investigations? Where Where are these investigative reporters running around doing the kind of things that investigative reporters used to do? You know, I can't tell you how many times uh, I, I've I've seen uh, people say, you know, this is a Pulitzer Prize winning thing if you go after this, and nobody does. Not one of these um, reporters are going after any of this stuff. So we we got that. Um, Newsom sitting in the background. The next one that has just come up is now we're looking at Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Senator from West Virginia. Joe Manchin refuses to say whether he will or will not run as a third party candidate uh, in the election. <clears throat> Sorry, I got these allergies uh, from the, all this pollen in the air. Gosh. Um, he has come out a couple times, even very recently. And said on a uh, news show, I think he was on Fox, and he said, uh, I'm not going to count anything in, I'm not going to count anything out. And apparently a lot of uh, the Democrats are very upset with him. And they're saying, you know, don't do it. It's a bad idea. You know, Joe's the nominee. you got to stick with him. And he hasn't said he's going to or not. But let's look at him for a minute. I found him to be, I thought he was a, a squared away kind of guy. I didn't care for all his policies, but I thought he was a middle of the road guy. I thought he really was one of these middle of the road people. He blocked some things that the Democrats wanted to do in the first uh, couple years of the Biden administration. He held out. Eventually, he gave in, uh, and it led to horrific amounts of spending and all kinds of other problems. He couldn't withstand the pressure. They promised him things that the Democrats promised him things if he voted for them, which they didn't give him. So, and then, of course, they all attacked him when he stood his ground, when he stood a principled position or what he claimed to be a principled position for not giving in to what they wanted to do. And he was attacked. He was soundly attacked, roundly attacked everywhere. And I think he's remembering that. And I think he's also looking at the fact that West Virginia has really become a red state. It was red. It went blue. It's back to red again. Uh, and and uh, this governor justice is going to run for the Senate. People are very unhappy with Manchin in general because of his policies and what he's voting for and this and that. And if he would switch parties... If he would switch parties, he may have a better chance of uh, re-election. But if he stays as a Democrat, it looks like justice will probably beat him. So therefore, he'd be out of a job. Now, for a guy that's in the Senate, or a woman, for that matter, that's in the Senate for several terms and gets used to the cushy lifestyle, uh, all the money flowing in the background, you know, the prestige, the power, that might be hard to give up. And he might say, you know what? Um... Looks like I'm going to lose my Senate seat. Maybe I'll run for president and maybe I'll spoil things. Now, his, his commentary was good. Of course, it seems that if he jumped in the race as another moderate Democrat versus Joe Biden uh, under the uh, no, no brands, I think, is the party, party that he would run under. No brands or no labels, something like that, that that would split up the Democrat vote. You would say people who would say, okay, well, I'll, I'm going to vote for Biden. He's the only Democrat in the race. And now you have Joe Manchin in there, too, and he runs as an independent. Well, maybe he siphons off 25 or 30 percent of the vote Joe, Joe Biden would get, and that puts Trump back in the White House or whoever the Republican is. So that would be a spoiler. Now, I'm thinking he might be doing that to get more promises out of people that he'll back out if they give him what he wants and it's up front or whatever. But at the same time, he might also be doing this little payback. This is what you people did, uh, the way you treated me, and now I'm going to do this. 
And the third option, the third option, and I really hope that this is true. I hope the third option is that Joe Manchin realizes he's an American and he has to do what's best for the country. And what he sees is all the shenanigans and the nonsense of the people on the left and the way they do things, what they're willing to do in elections, uh, the fact that they won't have debates, that they want to do this ballot harvesting, all this crazy stuff in the middle of the night to swing an election. Uh, the media is all against uh, anything conservative, and it's all one-sided. Maybe, just maybe, Joe Manchin is seeing his place in American history as the one who maybe holds off on the socialism of America, the socializing of America by stepping in and making sure Biden is removed uh, through the election, Trump is reinstated, and then Trump will run wild in his second term. Uh, I think he will absolutely, he's learned a lot of lessons. I think he will clean house and he will go after the, uh, the deep state, whatever you want to call them, the entrenched uh, bureaucracy. I think he will go after it strong. And maybe, I would like to hope out of those three possibilities, that that is what Joe Manchin is looking at. Maybe he wants to fall back on his, his heritage as an American, and this is something he can do to try and help his country. Right? Maybe I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's what he's doing. All right, so there we got, uh, and then we don't, then have this RFK. Now they're, they're going after him that he's an, an anti-vaxxer and this and that. And I got to be honest with you, I don't know too much about him. I know he's been the anti-vax guy. I know he, he spoke the truth about the COVID uh, uh, vaccines. Uh, and because, because of that, they hate him, of course. So they're going after him. They, they took down an interview with him, with uh, Jordan Peterson because uh, it, it violated the YouTube, YouTube's uh, anti-vaccine policy or something or other. So there's still censorship going on out there. It's, uh, it's just, it's, and it's all in one direction. See, that's the, that's the telltale sign. It's all in one direction. There's no, um, there's no bias going in the other way. You don't see news reports supporting conservatives and skewering facts to support conservatives or uh, making up stories that hurt Democrats. They have enough real things they could be writing about that would be very damaging to the Democrat Party and Joe Biden, and they don't go anywhere near it. So they're not going to make something up, which is kind of crazy. All right, so I'm looking at my, my pages of outrages here, and I think maybe you just heard my good friend Arthur, uh, the, do the, uh, the guy. Um, my, my Arthur the Rescue Dog. Now, he hasn't been on in a long time. Usually, he's, he's always got something to say. He'll give a little bark, a little, uh, hi, how are you, to let everybody out there know he's there. So I'm going to take this moment to, to talk about uh, rescue dogs for a real quick minute before we take our first break. Uh, so we jump from politics to something else, okay? So Arthur is a, um, he's a, a, a shepherd mix. I think he's a Belgian shepherd mixed with maybe some Labrador, but he's certainly got the qualities of a shepherd more than anything else. The biggest thing about Arthur is he's a big mush. Uh, so while he may be shepherd, he doesn't act shepherdly other than he barks. Like he's very, he's very protective. His bark is protective. And if anybody comes around the house, like anybody shows up here at the studio and he, he's delivering a package, right? Maybe something Lieutenant Joe is waiting for. And he sees the delivery person. He will, he will lose his mind to let me know that there's a delivery person at the door. 
Now, my son Joe uh, always used to say, well, uh, you haven't been killed by the mailman, Dad, so there's a good sign there that the dog is protecting you from that crazy mailman. And I said, yes, but the, the barking is crazy. The overall theme that I want to pass on to you here is that we've always had labs. We've had, uh, you know, purebred labs. We buy them from people who raise them, raise them properly, and, you know, healthy, do all the right things. Because I love Labradors. They're, they're beautiful, beautiful uh, dogs. They're very family-oriented. They're sweet. They're smart. They're good family, family dogs. I really like them. And we, we lost our shadow. Uh, he, he ended up getting sick, and he had to get um, put down, and that was very tough for everybody. But then we started rescuing. Uh, my Kathy wanted to rescue, right? So we rescued a lot of dogs, and some of them were real sickly. We nursed them back to health, and we helped them to find homes. It was very nice, and it was loving, and it kind of took, took a spot in our heart when, uh, when Shadow left. Well, then we came across this Arthur. And my kids fell in love with Arthur, and he was really sweet as a puppy. He, I think, was six months old when we got him. Uh, he was from Georgia. That's where they found him. The rescue found him down there. I guess he was living in the woods, or he was living with his brother and sister puppies in a tire. We always, you know, used to say. And they brought him up here, and, and we had him to help help him get back together, help him get his life together, and then we were going to help him find a family. But my kids fell so much in love with him that they wanted to keep him, and I had a sore, a soft spot you know, for the dog. He was really sweet, and I did miss my shadow. So we said, okay. Well, now we've had him for five or six years, and he'd gone through different phases. Like, he adopted himself to the family very quickly. Uh, he, he started to feel the rhythms of the house and, and who was doing what, and it, the barking really drove me crazy for a while, I'll be honest with you. He would bark incessantly at, um, at people in the street, and in the last two years, I got. I, I was really. I didn't know what else to do. We t we've taken him to dog psychologists, if you can imagine such a thing. We've taken him to the vet and see if they could do anything to help him calm down. And they basically said, "Well, you know, it's just that's that's the kind of dog he is." And I had to take that to heart, and I started to realize that you know he's not doing this to annoy everybody. He's just doing it that's way the way he is, and it's one of those things. Well, I got to tell you, in the last couple of years, he has really transformed into a wonderful member of our family. He's earned his place now um, in the in the hallmark of the Pangaro family. Arthur is a unique boy. Um, matter of fact, last night, see, he's not a, he's not a cuddler. Right? He'll come over for petting. He loves morning petting. He'd come over, he wants to get petted and rub his head and rub his ears and all that. I feel like Joe Biden when he comes over in the morning. Um, and he's very affectionate that way, but he's not a cuddler. Right? My shadow and all my other labs, they climb up in the bed with you. They climb all the way up to They want to lay next to you, you know, like, uh, like you're a partner. But uh, Arthur never does that. And last night, of all nights, you know, he sleeps at the end of our bed. I finally taught him to, when I get in the bed and I, I tap you with my foot, that means move your butt over so that my legs can fit here because I'm comfortable. Because if I'm not comfortable, you're going out. And he got on the bed last night. I tapped him. He moved. And then he came all the way up to the top where I was. And he laid down next to me and put his head on my chest. And it was sweet, and it was wonderful, and it was loving. And I, I cuddled him for a couple of minutes. And then he went to the bottom of the bed and went back to sleep. And it was the first time in six years that he's ever done that. And really, I was telling Kathy about it this morning. And it's, it's, a, wonderful, it's a wonderful example of the love that animals can give you. So my, my big, long piece here at the end of this, this uh, before our break, is if you're going to get a dog, take a look at at the shelters, take a look at adoptions. You know, these animals are beautiful animals. They deserve homes. And uh, Arthur is a great example.
So we'll be back in a minute with more. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, pulvinone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code out loud and get 20% off. America out loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Okay, so, you know, our first part of our, our little get-together today, I was talking about the, the politics and things of politics. Well, I don't know if anybody out there, are, are you a music fan? Do you like music? And the reason I'm, I'm going to ask you this question is that I like music. And back in the day, I was a guitar guy. You know, in my 15, 16, 17, through, probably to my early, early 20s before I got married. I was a guitar guy. And I was a songwriter, and that's what I thought I wanted to do. I had this expressive core to me. So those who out there have heard me talk about it, I write books. Right? I write a lot of different kind of things. Uh, I have two completed books from Blue360Media.com. Uh, Blue360 Media is a publisher of law material for lawyers and law enforcement uh, uh, people. So there's lots of training books, there's educational books, all kinds of stuff. So my two books... Uh, the interview, which is about how to conduct a an interview. So if you have to ask people questions, you should go get the book from Blue 360 Media or on Amazon, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, the interview, and learn how to do an interview. Understand the psychology of conducting an interview, what goes on in somebody's head, what goes on in your head, so that you can overcome denials and, and get where you need to be in an interview. And then my, my second book from uh, Blue 360 Media 
is called The Investigation. Now, if you are a crime fan, uh, crime stories, true crime, that kind of thing, I think you would love this book uh, because it's a brand new way of teaching. So in my first book, The Interview, what I did is I, I taught. Here's a concept, and I explained it. I fleshed it out with ideas and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I told a couple stories in there. And, you could you know, stories help flesh out ideas even more, whether something went right or wrong. But here's a story. Here's how I use these techniques, and here's was the result. Well, in the investigation, if you like crime stories, I think you'd love this because what I did is I used the story of a, um, a brutal double homicide that I investigated, uh, which it was crazy, and I used that as the backdrop. So I tell a part of the story, and then I stop and say, hey, let's go back. If you're the investigator, here's the things you should look for. Then I talk about how the murders happened, and I say, stop. Now let's go back and look at the crime scene. And I tell more of the story about the trial and all that and say, stop. Let's go back, and here's how you prepare for a major case. So it's, it's part of the creativity that I always, I always felt that I had. Even this radio show, you know, doing this podcast is uh, part of the creativity that I have. And, I, and that's a part of my, my life and my personality that I think is important, that I, I try and, and do that. Some people like to paint. I wish I could paint. I have such an affinity for painting. I wish I could paint. But unfortunately, I've tried, and uh, it looks like Picasso's, everything. Only not as good as a Picasso, if you know what I'm talking about. So doing things that are important to us to help that creative side of us come out is important because it helps you to think. It helps you to enjoy life. It helps you to experience things on a different level when you're creative. And it could be anything. You could be a knitter. You like to sit around and knit or crochet, right? Some people like to build things. Uh, they like to knick-knack. A friend of mine, uh, Chief Larry Mylon, um, amazing guy. He's an actor, right? So he acted while he was an officer, but now he acts full-time all the time, and he's a very talented guy, but he also whittles. You know, whittle, W-H-I-T-T-L-E, whittle. He whittles, and he's very talented. He takes a piece of wood, and he whittles it into all kinds of little shapes and amazing stuff, and I ask him why he does it, and he says, because it's relaxing. It's fun. It's, it's, it's something that gives him something that, that feeds his soul, right? So when we think about what people need to, to get to that next level of thinking and relaxation and enjoyment of life, to enjoy life, right? We shouldn't just be in this, this either this horror that we consider our lives because we don't have the things we want or the rat race where we're trying to get the things we want. But how do you actually enjoy things? Slow down. Smell the roses, as they say. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your time off. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do that. I'm, I'm a workaholic. Uh, I like working. I work, 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 work. And I consider it my hobby sometimes, and I shouldn't. So uh, my friend Kevin, guy I worked with, he used to say, uh, we take the weekends off, right? We'd have weekends off as cops and come back on Monday. And he, you know, I had a great weekend. It was the complete recharge weekend. I said, what do you mean recharge? He goes, oh, Friday I turned it off. I wasn't on call. I enjoyed my weekend. My wife and I did this. We saw these people. We did this, that, and the other thing. And I feel refreshed and rejuvenated. I'm recharged. And he goes, what did you do? Did you recharge? And I'm saying, recharge? I can't even imagine recharging. It's just, uh, just something I never even thought about. Kathleen has tried to push me to have recharge weekends. So what I try and do, unless I have travel to do for business, or if I have an article due or something I have to write, Friday afternoon at 6 o'clock, I turn it off. And then we have a nice dinner. We sit and talk to my father-in-law, Ted. He comes over for dinner. We'll have a glass of wine. We'll have some nice conversation. Maybe we do a, a little fire pit in the backyard, 
you know, really nice and a cocktail and cigar, a nice adult uh, t uh, tobacco product. I'm not endorsed in smoking. Uh, I don't like smoking, but I do enjoy the occasional cigar. So we might do that. I've learned to relax. But my creativity part, I find that when I do engage that, when I engage my creativity, I do appreciate life more. Right? I do appreciate things more when I'm not always caught up in the rat race and worrying about bills and worried about this and that. I get the same kind of effect from going to church. Right? I like to go to church because I, I, I'm on a journey. I'm trying to understand who I am, what I'm doing here in the world, what is the world, what is God, what is, what is the purpose of all of this. Right? Don't, don't we think about those big things? So church does that for me. But hobbies, and this is where I'm encouraging you, if you have a hobby, something you did years ago, do it again. Pull it out. Try it. You know, maybe you start whittling. Maybe you write a song. Maybe you, I don't know, whatever it is you like to do, uh, you should do it. There's a there's a thing that we learn about about human uh, endeavors called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now Maslow, uh, a lot of you have probably heard that, and many of you I'm sure know exactly what I'm talking about. Maslow basically said that there was lower level needs that the human being has to meet before they can do any higher level things. Higher level things are thinking, hobbies, fun, relaxation. You have to do the middle, the, the, uh, the bottom things first, and that is you have to have food security, shelter security, and security security. So you gotta eat, you gotta feel safe, uh, and you have to have a place to stay. And if you can cover those three of the lower uh, needs, then you can start to advance to the upper needs, which are thinking, writing, acting, dancing, painting, whittling, carving, whatever it is you want to do. We can't engage the higher things if the, if the lower needs are not met. Doesn't that make perfect sense? Of course, if I, if I don't have enough food, how can I think about singing? If I don't have a place to stay, how can I possibly uh, you know, carve and whittle for fun? And if I don't feel safe, how can I do anything? So this is where we, we need to look at those things. If you have those things or partly, and I know, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I have a very good friend of mine. Uh, she is very, very talented music writer. And see, I'm going to knit this all together. And that's how Lieutenant Joe does it. I'm knitting this all together. She's a, a, a talented girl, woman. And um, she's my age. She's uh, early 60s. And she was a guitar player, singer, piano player back in the day. And then, of course, life comes along and spoiled all her plans and she made some choices that are good or bad I, I can't say I won't comment on them but she ended up in a place that's not so good and she's struggling financially and because of that she can't do a lot so one of the creative things that I do in, in addition to writing um, manuals and teaching things and, and lecturing on how to be safe and all that kind of stuff I like the creative side of writing I like telling stories I have a lot of fiction that I write of every kind of genre. I write everything, which is because, you know, it comes out, it comes pouring out of me. But I came up with this idea for a musical because um, I love musicals. I love musicals. Uh, you know, not, not every single one, but there are some that are that tell a story, I think are really a lot of fun. Um, I really liked uh, the thing with, what's his name, uh, Hugh Jackman, uh, Greatest Showman. That absolutely amazing. I love that. I love The Wizard of Oz. I think it's great how you interwove, interwind stories with music to tell a story. Now, would you think that about Lieutenant Joe? Here I am kicking doors and, and, and chasing down drug dealers. In the meantime, I like The Wizard of Oz and I like Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman, I thought, was such a good story. 
and then it was set to music and it, it inspires me so I, I decided I'm gonna write this uh, musical and I don't want to say the name of it right now because you know um, I'm working on it when it's all done and I have it um, set up so that it's mine nobody can take it and I don't think you'll take it but there are some nefarious people listening in here in their basements in their underwear taking notes about Lieutenant Joe so I won't mention it because of them uh, but it's, it's a it's a really fun story it's uh, it's hopeful it's magical uh, it's got all the elements you'd want and I'm, I'm I have the themes written out and I'm trying to write the songs so I went to my friend and I said hey you used to do this do you want to be involved in this? Now, I do that for a couple reasons. One, I know she's down on her luck. Number two, I know what music and doing a hobby can help you to, to feel better and to maybe move forward. And we talked about it. We had quite a few conversations, and she says, you know, I actually, um, I've been playing guitar quietly um, for all these years still. I, you know, not playing music, singing songs, but, you know, playing. I kept my fingers, my chops going so I can play. She goes, but I would love to be a part of this project. So I, so I sent her some concept ideas and some lyrics that I was working on and some ideas for the songs. Well, she says to me, guess what? I borrowed a piano, a small piano, electronic piano that you carry around from somebody at work and I've been hacking around with it and I got my chops back together and I think I have some great ideas for two of these songs that you wanted. Um, and I said, okay, I listened to them. They were great. She really, she, she heard what I was saying and she kind of went with it. And then she calls me back. She goes, guess what? The girl who loaned me the piano says, I'll never use it again. You can keep it. So now she has this piano. And she's starting to write. And in her messages, her messages starting to get hopeful because she had something, right? She went with her, her uh, other side of her life, not just worrying about the misery she had and the money she needed and the job. She could do something creative. And it helped her to feel better. Uh, so I, I think that's that's really the message about about this is you know we can talk about politics all day we can talk about the horrors of the world but I think we need to talk about becoming better people becoming more relaxed about enjoying life because you only get so much time on this planet and you know when you hit 60 you start to realize Kathleen and I were talking about saying you realize when we look at this we're kind of in the fourth quarter of life aren't we I mean at 60, by, by all intents and purposes, the average uh, male lives to 75, and the average female lives to 77, I think, in America, which means uh, we're running out of road in front of us. Now, we might be lucky, we might be healthy, like my father-in-law, Ted. Ted, how are you? Ted's listening at home. He's the number one fan here. Uh, Ted's 90, and he is going strong. He's golfing. He still drives. Uh, he's enjoying his life, you know, at 90. So God bless him. But that's, you know, we were joking and Ted says, hey, if you and Kathy are in the fourth quarter, what am I? I said, Ted, you're in overtime, actually double overtime. So we all got a chuckle out of that. But my, my point being is that you have to enjoy your life so that you can be a better person, so you can be nicer to people. You see the world differently. So all of this rounds up to, I'm going to play something for you here. I played guitar, I told you. And after I got married, I kind of put it down. I became a cop. Um, I sold I sold my amplifier, which was, anybody who knows music, I had a beautiful 1978 all-tube Marshall Stack, the killer amplifier for rock and roll guitar. So if anybody knows that, 
Uh, if you mentioned that, a, a, an all-tube Marshall stack. It was 100-watt head, killer, 412 cabinets, beautiful. I sold it um, because I was doing police work. I didn't have time for it and all kinds of other things. But I kept my guitar. I kept my guitar. It was a 1976 Les Paul Custom, which is the epitome, the apoc, uh, the epic, the top of guitars. Um, and I kept that in a closet for many, many, many years. I didn't play. I didn't have time to play it. What I did do was I kept my acoustic guitar out, and I would play that once in a while to keep my fingers going so I could play. But I didn't really have time. Um, when my daughter Marisa, who's also very creative, uh, was young. Uh, she wanted to act and sing and dance and all that. Now she's a writer. She's actually writing her first novel. So she's she's following in dad's footsteps. I think that's amazing. Um, she wanted to sing and dance. So I started writing songs for her. And I even wrote a little sitcom for her and her little friend, uh, who were both wanted to be actors. Uh, it was called Daddy's Girl. And it was about this little girl and her friend, kind of Lucy Ethel kind of a thing, but for little kids. And we wrote a script, and they practiced a little bit, and it, it just never went anywhere. I didn't have time to follow it up, and they were caught up in the, the business of being little kids. You know, they had to go to school, they were in sports, they were in all kinds of things. But it was a creativity. Um, but I didn't pick up that electric guitar for 35 years. 35 years. Um, and then, I guess about a year or so ago, my brother Todd was playing. He was used to be a guitar player. And he bought a little practice amp, so I bought one just like it. Now I'm sitting, I pull out the electric guitar, and I'm playing. I forgot how much I loved it, how freeing playing the guitar was. And after about a year or so of, of sitting in a room, you know, just playing, playing the guitar and listening to the sounds and the tones that come out of it, I said, you know, I really miss playing with a band. I miss playing with drummers and bass and other guitars and singers and stuff. So I called a friend of mine. Uh, my friend Jerry he used to be the drummer in my band going back to the 1978, 79, 80 time period. And I talked to Jerry, and he keep, keeps a drum kit in his uh, in his attic of his house. He's had a couple of bands over the years. Uh, he he he's kind of stayed with it a little bit. And he goes, "Hey, listen, uh, I'm going to have a jam session at my house in a couple of weeks. I'm going to have another guitar player, bass player, a guy who plays harmonica." Um, uh, you want to come on over and jam with us? And I'm like, ah, Jerry, uh, it's been 35 years since I plugged into an amplifier. He goes, it doesn't matter. We're just have fun. Come on over. So, of course, um, I was intrigued by the idea because it was, it was fun. It, was, it felt good to maybe do that. So I went out and I bought myself an amplifier. Um, and, you know, never to, never to do some, something small and simple, I had to go buy a killer amplifier. So I bought this really, really good uh, amp. It's called a Katana. So anybody knows about amps, it's, uh, it's made by Roland. Uh, it's a Boss Katana artist amp. It's unbelievable. It does so many sounds. It does every sound you ever heard in your life. It's amazing. Uh, and I started playing that. And I went over to Jerry's house, and I met uh, two guitar players, a harmonica player, a bass player, and Jerry on the drums, and then me. And we're, we're all kind of hacking around, and we're just... You know, and I, I kept apologizing these because these guys all play. They play kind of regularly. I said, "Listen, it's been a really, really long time since I played." And, and they said, "Listen, would you just shut up, drink a beer, put on the guitar, and let's see what happens?" So we started hacking around a little bit and we're trying to figure out songs we all know. We all know different era songs and this and that. And I said, "Hey, you guys know um, any Leonard Skinnerd?" And the one guy says, "Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I know." Uh, 
uh, oh, what's that song called? Give Me Three Steps. So anybody out there who knows Leonard Skinner, you know, give me three steps, give me three steps, mister, give me three steps toward the door. You know, it's a fun story about a bar room, right? A guy uh, dancing with some other guy's girl. It turns into a problem. So we all kind of hacked around with it for a little bit. And before you know it, we all knew the same chords and we started playing. And I'm going to play you just a little clip of it. I hope it comes across really well here on the podcast. But this is me and my friends playing a little Leonard Skinner. And it actually sounds like Leonard Skinner. Not bad after uh, 35 years, I think, of, of not playing and never having played with these guys before. So here we go. So I won't bore you with it. Besides, I know the control room, their heads might be exploding, and I don't want it to go on for too long. But my point is, is that that sounded like the band it was intended to sound like. Uh, not perfect. It's, it's, of course, it's not Leonard Skinner, but I've played that for a few couple people. And I said, hey, you like Skinner? And I play it. And they're like, oh, man, I love that song. I said, hey, that's me and my friends. And they're like, no way. So the big point here is to try and, try and do things that are fun. And enjoy yourself. I think I, I think I've uh, I've worn that out. The other thing I would I would you know seeing all the problems in the world, and we all have problems. Everybody has problems, different levels of problems, and we see we're not happy with how the country is going. We're not happy with some, maybe some choices our family members make, and maybe our kids or whatever. That's not Lieutenant Joe. I'm very happy with all my kids. I got geniuses um, all the way across the board, but. There are people that have problems with their kids, you know, whether it's of their own making or it's just it just happened. So doing these kind of things helps us to 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 just be better. But what I can also suggest is go back to church. Go back to church, whatever your church is. Right. Um, unless, of course, it's the church of Satan, then you shouldn't go there. That's very bad. And I don't care who hears me say it. Church of Satan is not good. Satan is not good. It's bad. Um, but any any church um any mosque, wherever you find a religious home, even if it's been a long, long time since you've been there, go back and try and reconnect because the messages that come out of our churches are really um, solid. They are life-affirming. They're about doing what's right. They're about finding the good in you and finding the good in the world, that you are loved. Right? Some people feel they're not loved. Well, in the church, you're loved. You're loved by God. God loves you. Uh, whether or not you're a superstar, whether or not you're handsome or beautiful, uh, whether or not you're uh, big or small, whether you're talented or not, God loves you as a human being. And having that understanding can also enhance your life as much as having a hobby and doing something that's fun and relaxing, even more so, I would say. So I have a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, um, Yankee Doodle Keith. Uh, he was on the show one time a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, he's got a tough life. He doesn't have an easy life. Um, he, he's not enjoying himself in his career, his job, his life, and all that. And he's a very spiritual guy. He's a really very spiritual guy. When we were younger, we used to talk about uh, the world and God and this and that, you know, in this conversation. And I was in that period of life where I had fallen away from going to church because, you know, once you become an older teenager, you can, you can skip it. You move on, right? All the kids kind of do. Um, most kids do, not all, uh, most kids do. And I did too. And so did uh, Yankee Doodle Keith 
And But we talked about these things. We understood. We could see the magic and the majesty in the world in front of us. You know, I would see a sunrise and I would be inspired. I would see a, a, the stars at night and I would see the face of God in the stars. I would see a, a little baby giggling and laughing and I would hear the voice of God in that. And it helped me to feel good. It, it inspired me to do things, to do more. So in over the years, Keith and I lost track of each other. He moved up north. Uh, I think he's in Massachusetts. And we kind of lost track of each other. But a couple years ago, we got back together. And he had some kids that he hadn't seen in years and years and years. Long story with that. But his kids turned out to be really wonderful people. And Kathleen and I said, hey, you know, since you're reuniting with Keith, I, you know, he used to be one of my best friends, you know, maybe we invite him down. And we invite his whole family here to the house, and let's have a reunion for them. Because he was having emotional difficulties connecting to them, because it had been years since he talked to them, since they were babies. And he felt bad that they wouldn't want to be around him, and they wouldn't accept him, and they would be mad at him. But when I reached out to them, they were overwhelmed at the idea. They said, listen, he was a young guy when all this happened. He, he was a kid, 16, 17 years old, and he made stupid choices and bad choices. We would love to have a relationship with our father and him with his grandchildren, right? So we put together this reunion and we had everybody come here to the house and it was really a beautiful and wonderful thing. And since then, you know, Keith and I have had conversations, we've stayed in contact and he, he's longing for something in his life when we talk. You know, he's upset with his job, but that's not really what it's about. He's upset with his, his ability to have the relationship that he wants and it's really not about that. And as we talk and we get into it, he's on a journey. He's trying to understand who he is. Where does he fit in this world? He has this beautiful family that now are loving, forgiving, and want him to be a part of it. And he's trying to understand that. And I talked to him. I said, listen, really, you need to have a relationship with God. Right? Try it, man. Talk. See what happens. And he's trying. He's thinking about it. You know, he hasn't gone all the way through. He hasn't followed my advice 100%. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a preacher, right? I'm just a guy that's on a journey, and I tell you about it because that's what we do here. We, we talk about it, you know. Um, and and I, I just ask everybody out there, say a prayer for Keith. Just say, hey, Keith, God, find Keith. Bring him back home so that he can have a, a relationship and, and help all the people, all of our friends and family who have, who have fallen by the wayside and who need help, right? So hobbies and church can help all of us. To feel better see so we could have spent all day the whole whole get together here talking about politics and I didn't want to do that uh, I want to talk about some other things um, now the interesting um, we, we, we recently had a, an, a truly American holiday flag day right don't we uh, we celebrate flag day every year in America and we do, do we think about it throughout the rest of the year about the American flag and what it stands for to some people it's a symbol of hate that the American flag symbolizes America, which is hateful and racist and terrible. And to other people, and I like to think the majority of us, see the American flag as a symbol of freedom and justice and liberty and hope. Because the reality is um, America and the American people, because it's the people that make the country. The country is just land. It's the people that make America. And that flag represents the people. So 
I, I, I have always had an American flag out in front of my house. Because number one, I've always had pride in my nation, but I've had pride in my fellow Americans. When I think about all the young men and women who have sacrificed for others in, in the greatest way, you know, our military people who have died on battlefields so that we could live at home safer. For the law enforcement officers out there and other first responders who go out every single day putting their lives on the line so that we can have a better life, they're all wrapped up in that flag. That flag represents them. It doesn't represent the bad things that happened in our country. It represents the people, the heart of the people who are American and who make up the American dream, the American way of life, the hope that people from across the globe have to come here. Right? We talk about immigration all the time, illegal immigration, open boardings, there's millions of people coming, it's this, that. And the reason that they're coming is because this is the greatest country in the world, the greatest system that's ever been known for people to thrive and to get ahead. And while we have our bumps and we have our problems and we do have things to work out and we have disagreements amongst ourselves, we really all need to take a minute and relax and look and see what America is and what it could be and stop the fighting. Stop the fighting, I guess is the message. And I, I heard Ronald Reagan, I heard a, a spiel by Ronald Reagan. I was watching um, a movie and they used a, one of his pieces of his speech at the beginning of the movie. It was pretty good. And he talked about how as, as even all across the world, there's all different people, different cultures, but all of us really are one family. We're all the human family. And we are all people who have the same needs no matter where we are. We, we need love and we want family and we want comfort and we want to be safe. We want Maslow's hierarchy of things, don't we? And it was really a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing. So that's where I think I'm going to leave this. I don't want to get mushy on you at the end of our episode, but I just wanted to talk about those things that I think are important in life because uh, we talk about politics all the time. So remember, we'll see you again very soon and be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.